Forty Futures is a speculative fiction series about the criminal justice system, written and read by Jason Taché. Recode. Albin sat on a stainless steel examination table in the back of a veterinary clinic closed for renovations. His legs dangled and his hands were in his lap. The childlike disposition amplified his nervousness. Yo, I keep going back and forth. He hollered across the room, breaking the silence. A clinician, with his back turned, lifted his head and looked over his left shoulder. Give me a second. He fiddled with something on the table for a moment and turned around. Albin could see small plastic vials standing in a red tray, a microscope, and clear cups, with and without liquid in them. Like, you want the other procedure or you're out completely? The clinician was wearing a medical mask pulled down beneath his nose, glasses, and a white lab coat with the veterinarian's embroidered logo. The coat was one size too big and belonged to Brian. Just to remind me the options, Albin replied. Yeah, I've currently got you down for the 23andMe package. That's the one that changes all but 23 of your DNA markers. It's usually enough to throw the cops off and avoid an arrest. Albin nodded. Now, there's also a premium service that can get you down to five original markers. That's my Five Alive plan. The clinician put his hands in his pockets and rocked back on his heels. You know the feds can now make a match on six markers, right? Albin continued to nod and leaned into the upsell, until he remembered the astronomical cost of the platinum plan. Now, as I told you earlier, we don't talk about why you're here or what trouble you're looking to avoid, so this isn't a conversation. It's a decision for you to make, lectured the clinician. But if you're running across state lines robbing banks or it's the season for treason, then I think being alive is far better than being free. Right, but how does it work? asked Albin, showing a mix of hesitation and curiosity with a man who wouldn't even share his name, not even a gnome to whatever this is. It's pretty simple. We're just deleting some of your stars, explained the clinician. You spend a lot of time around doctors, don't you? Albin was incredulous. My stars? I've never told you who I work with. The clinician's easy demeanor vanished. S-T-R. They're the markers of your DNA that allow the cops to turn your genes into something like a fingerprint. So think of this as the genetic equivalent to burning your fingerprints off. But instead of acid, we're going to remove some of your blood, isolate the DNA, edit it, he pointed back to the workstation, and re-inject you with it. Voila, new you. He stared at Albin, waiting for a decision. Don't worry said the clinician worried the customer was getting cold feet. Unlike the fingerprint thing, this is painless. Hello and welcome back to 40 Futures. I'm Jason Taché and I just got done reading story number seven in this series, uh, Recode. And in these commentary sections, one of the things that I've been trying to pull out 
is what's going on now that gets us to one of these speculative futures that maybe seems a little bit far-flung or a little bit too science fiction-y. And that's no different for what I want to accomplish today because there are two major themes, things that are happening now in our day-to-day that were floating in my head as I was trying to put this particular story together. And those two things are the rapid growth of consumer DNA databases. And then secondly, is this thing called CRISPR, this way to edit DNA, whether human or plant or, or animal, uh, which is becoming easier, cheaper to access. And I was curious, how would these things interact in, in maybe the not so distant future? So I, I think this story really gets at this kind of market need for criminals and then someone coming up with a solution that that meets that need and is probably very lucrative for the person that comes up with the the solution in this case the clinician in the story so where does the need come from at first like why would criminals begin to feel the need to spend money to go through this type of procedure to be able to obscure their dna in some particular way I think that all comes down to this proliferation during the last 20 years, really just this century, uh, of consumer DNA databases because it has completely changed the game in regards to what the police have access to. So starting in 1994, the United States creates CODIS, which is basically this database for people that have been arrested or convicted of crimes within the United States. And this was the big law enforcement, FBI-run database that people could take crime scene DNA to and maybe compare it to see if the person that they were looking for in the open criminal case had an existing file on record with the FBI. Now, this was solely focused on people that had had contact with the criminal justice system, meaning that the pool was very limited and also tended to disproportionately skew black as far as the racial makeup of the database was concerned because we disproportionately arrest racial minorities in this country. Therefore, the database of DNA of arrestees reflects that. And this is really, this was the biggest tool in the United States for law enforcement to use when it came to comparing DNA evidence from crime scenes. And that all changed this century where it became legal for companies to sell direct consumer at home DNA tests. These are 23andMe, Ancestry.com. They send you the little vial, the swab, you cheek swab, you send it back and you find out where's your family's DNA or where's your personal DNA coming from uh, as far as like a, a ethnic breakdown is concerned as well as it collects other information about height and weight as well as you know, if you were a product of incest even can come up in these particular tests. This completely changes the game because all of a sudden DNA tests and sequencing was no longer just the province of either law enforcement or the medical establishment. All of a sudden it put it in the hands of consumers. And a part of that expansion into the consumer market was these websites that allowed people to upload their information from these companies like 23andMe to websites which would allow them to Uh, try to find distant family members, cousins, people that they have lost contact with or maybe didn't know they existed to begin with. This is where the game begins to get changed. These are websites like GEDmatch and Family Tree DNA. 
while it was meant for to help people kind of recreate their family tree, which was, of course, is a big American pastime. It also gave access to law enforcement in some circumstances to be able to search these databases. In many cases, this was a breach of terms of use for the people that put their DNA on there, but that's like a legal aside. The fact of the matter was, though, is that at least as of 2018, 60% of Americans with European descent could be identified through these databases. And that isn't to say that 60% of Americans with European ancestry have given their DNA to these databases. What it means that is that there's enough commonality across DNA within the database to be able to identify that many people. So if a distant cousin of mine put their genetic information and uploaded it to GEDmatch, for example, then I would be identifiable within that database, even though I myself have never taken part in any at-home DNA test, let alone uploaded that information to one of these websites. And back the last time that I was writing about this in 2020, the experts at that time anticipated within just a few years, so about now, about 90% of white Americans or those of European ancestry would be able to be identified through these databases. And what that really drives home is that these consumer databases, these consumer DNA databases, have greatly increased the reach of the role of genetics in criminal investigations in a way that would have been completely unfathomable if the state alone tried to expand the CODIS database, for example. And this has led to some significantly high-profile cold cases being cracked. The most notable one is probably the Golden State Killer, who was a individual who committed a series of murders and rapes in the 70s and 80s in California. The same has been uh, true in dozens of cold cases around the country where these databases have opened up new opportunities for law enforcement. And in even one case in Idaho, this type of information led to the release of a man who was in jail for a murder rape that he did not commit. So in that world where we have near total coverage of a particular group within these databases, you could see savvy criminals that are worried about leaving their DNA in places that they have done illegal things, wanting to throw off the scent of their trail. And I mean, as of today, probably the only way to really do that is through a bone marrow transplant, which is expensive, it's painful, it is a difficult procedure, and it has tons of medical repercussions afterwards. So it's not really something that a criminal would think is a viable alternative outside of maybe a Hollywood thriller. The discussion then moves to CRISPR and and where that technology could be going in the future. Because I think in at least what we see now, you could see this type of application. So basically what CRISPR is, is this, this inexpensive, easy way to modify DNA. It exists now. It's currently being used in crops, animals, and bugs, uh, and also with very limited application in people, primarily in early human embryos. The idea of it is it's basically this biological entity that can be put onto a DNA sequence, and it will be told before it's put on the DNA sequence what it is looking for, like what it's looking to cut out, 
essentially. It's, think of it as like biological scissors. And so it will go along the DNA sequence. It will find the pre-programmed genetic combo that it's looking for, and it will cut where it is told to cut. And then there's two options that can happen. Either the DNA that has been spliced can reheal itself with that missing section taken out, or CRISPR injects a new DNA sequence at the cut, and then that becomes a part of the DNA, and then will begin to replicate within that organism's body. And what's wild about this is that it can be done pretty simply. But that's not to say that the current state of the art is there to allow a story like Recode to occur today. There are some certain limits to the state of the art. The big one, and this goes back to the comparison to the bone marrow transplant, is that even in a bone marrow transplant, which is putting functionally a new DNA engine into a person's body, is that CRISPR isn't able to change all of the cells, right? It'd be two, the, the trillions of cells that make up the human body. It would be not be efficient to go and snip and cut all of those. There'd be needs for greater replicability of cells within a body, because even now you could make some blood look different, for example, in a person's body. But say if the cops decided to do a cheek swap uh, as their DNA test, as opposed to a blood test, then the cheek swap might be bring back DNA that looks like the person's original DNA. Or in that particular situation, there's also this opportunity for there to be what's called like a mixed signal, where essentially the DNA would look like someone played around with it, and that itself would be a red flag for law enforcement to then realize that something is up with this particular person's DNA. And so on both accounts, that's why this isn't happening now. That's a huge limitation to the application of CRISPR now, where we're talking about a criminal who's looking to basically make sure that his DNA isn't going to get him caught if his DNA is already in one of these databases. And so then the question becomes like, well, how then do we get there, right? Like, how do we go from this point where we have this really phenomenal tool like CRISPR to the point that something is as efficient, inexpensive, and accessible as what I talk about in the story? And I think, one, just like the march of scientific progress forward is clearly going to be a part of it. But there's also this weird, ethically, scientifically dubious and illegal biohacking movement that exists uh, in the United States and elsewhere. And this is basically people that are against the rules, against medical advice, against the FDA, using things like CRISPR to in alter their own DNA and inject it back in themselves, for example, to, like, to try to build up more muscle tissue, for example. For the most part, these the reviews from the scientific community is that either these approaches are going to do nothing or, or they could potentially cause harm to the people that are partaking in their own at-home DIY experimentation on their DNA. In a movement like that, where there is a lot of underground experimentation outside of the light of you know, the scientific community, as well as the regulatory world, you could see the possibility where someone playing around with this type of stuff makes their own breakthrough in the underground biohacking world and then decides to apply it in a criminal space. And so that's how I think we get there. I think with the pressure that the DNA databases are creating on the criminal community, as well as with 
the more efficient, less expensive DNA editing tools that are now coming out there like CRISPR with some time and some malevolence thrown in for a good measure, I could very much see us winding up in a future that looks very much like the one in Recode. And with that, I'll leave it there. Thank you, as always, for listening to 40 Futures. For links to what I talked about today, please check out justicetech.download. That is the URL. This is a project written, recorded, and produced by me, Jason Taché. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll be back in your feed next Thursday. Until then, take care.